Amen. I hope you were paying attention to that because it talked about places where we get stuck. I preached a sermon series earlier this year. It was about being unstuck. For the next several weeks, especially leading up to Super Sunday, I'm going to be trying to get your in certain areas with relevant faith as my backdrop. I'm going to try to get you unstuck from specific areas. This morning, I'm going to give you another secret between me and the Lord. He's already told me how much these next few sermons are going to challenge you. He told me that when I was praying over these next few sermons that my job, my mandate is to put a mirror in front of you because the Word is going to show you a reflection of who it is that He sees. Because when God looks at you, He's either seeing Himself or He's seeing you. And it's very obvious, since COVID especially, that there's been a lot of people who have been saved for a long time but they have lost the joy of their salvation. Are you going to get quiet on me already? I'm talking about people that have been saved for a long time. They're going to get heaven when they die, but they're not enjoying nothing right now. And that's not the life that God wants us to live. They pray, they go to church, they quote scripture, but they're always mad, complaining constantly. And they're living right, which means they're keeping rules, but they're not loving right, which is the greatest rule. So this being Valentine's weekend, I'm going to preach a sermon to you this morning, and we're going to deal with the, uh, the concept of love. But we're not just going to say love. I'm not just going to give you a definition of love. My sermon this morning for relevant faith is this. Love isn't what you thought. Love isn't what you thought. I was reading an article uh, when I was preparing for this sermon series. And they asked two different groups of people to tell me what a Christian looks like. The first group were non-believers. People who are not plugged into the local church. And they asked them, what is a Christian? You want to know what they said? They said, a Christian is somebody who don't cuss. They always haven't met some of you. They got all kinds of different answers. They said, their Christians are people who don't cuss. Then they said, there's people, they're people who don't watch rated R movies. They, they said, they're people who don't drink. They, 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 say, they said, Christians are people who get married young. Then they found a group of people who called themselves believers, who called themselves Christians. And they said, what is a Christian? Now when they asked non-believers, they got all sorts of answers. From all over the, just, they don't cuss, they don't drink, they get married young, they don't watch rated R movies. But when they asked Christians, they all pretty much sounded the same. Their answers sounded like this, they love God and love others. Or they put God first and they care about other people. Or they have a relationship with God and they tell others about His love. Now this, this made me wonder. If believers all seem to say that our one job is to love God and love others, how come when they ask the others what we do, 
none of them answer, love me and love God. Why is their impression of a believer, people that don't cuss and don't drink and, and don't watch rated R movies, that, that it, that, they, they talk about believers as people who follow a bunch of rules. But when they ask us what a Christian is, oh, we love God and we love others. Apparently, the one thing we're supposed to do isn't rubbing off on the one group of people it's supposed to rub off on. Because they're not identifying us by how we are supposed to be identified. Seems like a bunch of stuff we brag about not doing is what we are known for instead of the one job we actually have. Love God, love others. Jesus is about to be arrested and go to Calvary, and he finishes the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's washed their feet. And in John chapter 13, he gives us two verses here that I'm going to use as a backdrop to preach an entire message. John 13, verse 34. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Say, a new one. Uh, they had all kinds of commandments. Go back and read the Old Testament. You'll find out there's all, we are not short on commandments. I mean, there was a bunch of them. And Jesus said, you've heard all them. I'm about to give you a new one. Love each other. And then he says, and if you want to know what the model is, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Mic drop moment. We can go home. God bless you. Go and work on that the rest of this week. I don't need to preach anything else. He said, love each other like I loved you. That's a pretty deep love. Anybody know what Jesus did for him? Is anybody thankful for what Jesus did for him? Yeah, that's a pretty deep love, isn't it? And, and here's what he said. He said, love each other like that. Not like what you see on them rated R movies that you're not supposed to be watching. He said, watch me and follow me. And verse 35 says this. Why does the world not know that we're Christians? Because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you love me? Do you, do you, love, me? Do you love each other? Be careful because love probably isn't what you think. So when I ask you if you love me, you're like, yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate the words you preach. I appreciate that you show up and do all these things and, and that you've helped us build this. But, but, but be careful when you say you love somebody because I'm about to show you love is probably not what you think it is. Do you remember in school, uh, I know Stacy's a school teacher. Uh, I don't know if we got any more school teachers here, but do you remember in school when you were in math class uh, and, and, and the teacher would say, here's your homework, I want you to show your work. They didn't want you to just bring the right answer. They wanted you to show your work because they wanted to know that you knew how to do it because a calculator can give you the right answer. And they don't want you to just show up with the right answer. They want, they want you to prove to them that what they have been teaching you, you understood it. This scripture in John 13, 34, and 35, this is Jesus looking at the church saying, show me your work. See, y'all don't like that because y'all want to show it. Y'all want to do Jericho marches, leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, talk like a turkey up in the altar. Y'all want to dance and scream and shout, fall out on the floor, flop like a fish that's out of water. And that's showing the world signs and wonders 
We're trying to skip to a master's degree when we haven't got out of kindergarten yet. We're trying to get all of these things flowing in the anointing. And, and we, t- we go to these seminars where the Holy Ghost is going to fill. And, 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 and we're not ready for that. Jesus said, if you want to show the world that you're mine, it's not going to be because you speak in tongues and you prophesy to each other and, and because the, 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 the cripple are getting out of wheelchairs because we're not ready to handle that until we can do the basic thing, which is if you want to show the world that you're mine, just love each other. Do you see how easy that is and how hard-headed we are about it? The, the easiest thing it should be in the world for a Christian to do is praise, and the second ought to be to love. Praise ought to come easy. It ought to become as natural as a fish in water because of what, how good he has been to us and how he fills us with his Holy Ghost. We ought to be able to, out of the abundance of our heart, just give God praise. That ought to be the easiest thing. And the second thing ought to be love because he took away the sting of death. He took away the, the, the curse of, of sin. He has taken away all of this, and we ought to be able to love and say, you need what I have. But we somehow, some way, and I'm going to show you a few ways, have got this message messed up. And Jesus is standing in front of us this morning saying, promise of victory, child of God, prove your work. There's a lot of things that we think are important. There's a lot of things Jesus could have said was the greatest commandment. But what he said was, you will be known by your love. Not how many scriptures you memorized. Not whether or not you flow in the gifts. Not, not, not whether you uh, have, have went down and volunteered at some uh, blood bank or something. No, he said you will be known by your love. Are you still with me? It, it's going to get worse from here. God is love. Let me, let me say that again because I need you to, because I'm, I'm, I'm about to dive into some sensitive areas. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. Anyone who doesn't love others has never known him. What, what's that say? God is what? God is. So if God is love, he's the one and him alone who gets to define what love is. Not you. Not culture, not the Supreme Court. God is love. And if he is the thing, he alone gets to define what the thing is. This is a big challenge. Because that means you have to accept his definition and you don't get to manipulate it because love isn't what you thought it was. Love is what he says it is. And we have to learn how to love each other fully and completely at the same time, staying within the confines of what God says love is. Ooh. Here's what Paul defines it as, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, all you tongue-talking, prophesying believers, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, he said, if you could talk to the angels. He said, have you ever saw that? I was reading this this morning, and I was like, I've never paid that, that close of attention. He said, even if I could talk to angels. But I didn't love others. I'd only be making noise. We would, man, if, if we knew somebody could talk to angels, we'd have them on TBN. You would be sending them offerings. If you knew somebody could talk to angels, you'd be trying to buy them. Can I come in with you and talk to them angels? 
But Paul says if you could t- talk to angels, that's not as important as loving others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, which is what the church is known for. Did you read what that just said? Now now does that article make sense that I read to you? Why Why does the world think that all we do is keep a bunch of rules? Because Paul says right here, I could sacrifice my body. I won't watch R-rated movies. I won't cuss if church folks is around. I'll only put nasty stuff on my Facebook if I can send it in a private message to my friends who understand me. Why does the world think that church folk only keep a bunch of rules? Because Paul says it right here. If I sacrifice my body, I can boast about it. We can brag, church, about all the stuff we don't do. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. That's actually a relief, church. I know you're stiff right now, but can I tell you that this is actually a relief? Because that means you don't have to get everything right. That means you don't have to measure up. You don't have to have all the answers. When somebody comes to you and says, you really hurt me, you can say, I'm very sorry. You don't have to say, well, I'm perfect in every way because I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, and I should never make mistakes. And you must be mistaken if you thought I was mistaken because I am made in his image and likeness, and he doesn't make any junk. And so I'm going to go and pray in my prayer closet that the Lord would reveal you that I was really right all along. No, no, no. You can just look at him and say, I'm deeply sorry that I offended you. I did not mean to hurt you, and I will apologize immensely because I want you and the Lord to forgive me. And you can walk away and say, what a relief. I like love people the right way because when I, lo- when I love people the right way I don't have to have all the answers I don't have to get everything right I don't have to preach perfect sermons this praise team doesn't have to have perfect pitch because even if they did but if they don't love right the anointing wouldn't be effective so I'm going to show you three ways that we love two of them are incorrect The last one, I'll spend most of my time on, even though I've already spent most of my time on it. Number one, we're going to talk about how I want to love, which is a selfish sort of love. Now, I'm just going to testify because I know that all of you are perfect, and this is not going to touch your your sensibilities. This is not how you treat anybody. So let me, allow me to just testify and unburden myself this morning. Because the way I want to love is a selfish love. Because I really believe that most of us want to love people. But we want to love people in a way we're comfortable with. Because we want to love people, but we don't like them. Because sometimes loving people is easier than liking them. Because I love you and I want to see you get to heaven, but I'd really like it if the Lord would put you on the other, the east side of heaven. Because I want your soul to be saved, but I don't want you all up in my faith. I mean, I, I want you to go to church, but not with me. Yeah, we, we love people. But love isn't what you thought. 
Because our definition of love gets twisted sometimes. And, and, and we don't like people. We don't care to get to know people. COVID has really done a number on this with people. We don't want to interact with people. And how are you going to care enough to love somebody if you don't invest anything in them? And so when we get together, we're supposed to be together. And the reason we're supposed to be together is because I invest in you and you invest in me because that's how we learn to love each other. But what we do is we, tr we try to choose who we love and how we show it. Love isn't what you thought. In Mark chapter 5, there was a man who lived in the tombs. The Bible says he was a demonic. He, he had demons in him. And the people didn't know he had demons. The people thought he was crazy. And they tried to chain him up and he would break the chains. And he ran through the tombs naked. And he would cut himself with, with sharp sticks and sharp rocks. And he would scream at all hours of the night. And the townspeople were terrified of him. Now these same people came to Jesus. After Jesus had already had gotten the demons out, which means they appreciated the fact that the man was better, but while he was still suffering, they did not go near him. And if you love somebody, you're going to have to get invested in them, even if you want to walk circles around them. Jesus' model is, he goes where hurting people are. And there are homeless people that need to hear about Jesus. There are people with mental illnesses. There are people who have been incarcerated. There are folks that are from other parts of the world and they don't have the same customs and beliefs as you. There are people in our society and maybe even in this building this morning that struggle with addiction. I'll preach on that on Super Sunday because addiction's not just with a needle in a vein. There's a lot of addictions. There's a lot of addicts sitting in this room under the sound of my voice this morning. There are people that you need to love that vote differently than you, that think differently than you. But in, but in our selfish definition of love, we try to walk around folks that Jesus is trying to put us in the path of. See, Jesus looked for opportunities to get messy in ministry. We try to keep everything clean and tidy. Mm. You don't have to keep telling people what the world sees in them. All you got to do is tell people what God sees in them. The second way that we try to love is how the world defines love. So if my, my definition is selfish, the world's definition is shallow. Can I preach right here for a minute? Because selfish love is shallow love. You've heard the old, the old saying, actions speak louder than words. You ever had somebody tell you they loved you? But what they did preached another message. Just because somebody says they love you does not mean that they do. One of the toughest lessons in life is learning that there are people who you thought loved you, cared about you, were your friend, but they actually weren't. And to be honest with you, can I tell you, can I, can I, can I, because I know y'all going to start sending off a text, my pastor said, no, listen. Hold off, trigger. <laughs> they weren't lying to you. They thought they loved you. 
you, you haven't saw a whole lot of people, in, you haven't encountered a lot of people in your life that flat out manipulated you. They, they weren't just using you, telling you they love you. They, they just didn't understand what real love is. So when they told you they loved you, they weren't lying. What they perceived as love was what they gave you. Unfortunately, the world's definition of love is a very shallow definition. It don't take much to get there. Oh, it's quiet in here now. Y'all afraid of what I'm going to say next? When you have shallow love, you can show it in various ways and not even engage the heart. Not engage the spirit. Not engage God. If you have a shallow definition of love, listen, I can ask, I can ask people in this room, tell me something you love, and somebody will say, I love cheeseburgers. And you wouldn't be wrong. I love them too. And I love bacon. And I love donuts. Mmm, donuts. What, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, love. I'm sorry. I had a love affair in my mind there for a second. I'm sorry. I was cheating on Pastor Amanda with a donut. I'm sorry. I lost my mind for a second. But I also love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my church, and I love you. And, and every one of those things is a different level of love. I love every one of those things in a different proportion. I used this example several years ago, but many of you didn't know me then, so I'll just throw it out there again. Many of you, if I say, hey, do you love your pastor? You would say, yes, I love my pastor. Many of you would say it and smile. Yes, I love Pastor Mitchum, yes. Okay, so when I'm done preaching, I'll go up to my office, take my shoes off, Take these stanky, sweaty socks off and give them to you to take home and wash. And you're going to be like, I don't love you that much. <laughs> and that's the right answer. Because you love me, but you don't love me dirty sock love. <laughs> There's one person in this room that loves me dirty sock deep, and that's this woman right here. She's the only woman in this room that loves me dirty sock deep. The rest of you are a little, yeah, I don't know how deep the love goes, but you're a little more shallow than dirty sock. I don't know where it's at. I don't know where the line is, and there's probably uh, different levels of love throughout the congregation, but you ain't dirty sock deep yet. And, and so she's the only one that, that but, but when I get to that level, there's, there's a deeper relationship. There's benefits that go, y'all not going to help me. See, 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 see there's, there's responsibilities and, relation, and, and, and benefits that goes with that level of love that you don't get with other shallow, y'all not going to help me. And the problem that the world has today is they're trying to operate with shallow love but give deep love benefits. They're trying to operate with a shallow love commitment but give deep love commitment and benefits. And the reason they do that is, is because they want what you got, but they don't want to give what it takes to get there. Uh-huh. But, but, so they weren't lying. When they said they loved you, don't hate on them. Don't send them a nasty text when this sermon's over. Because what they think is love, they meant it. But their love is a shallow definition. Is this okay? Let's finish reading what Paul says about love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. You want to know what love looks like? This is the real heaven definition of love. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Oh, stop right there. Just stop right there. It's not irritable. Can I just say that about 15 more times and we just go to the house and pray, sit in sackcloth and ashes? Because <laughs> if, if that's the definition of love, most of us got a long way to go. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. The King James says there, love never fails. So let's talk about selfish love. Based on those scriptures, let's talk about selfish love and how you can identify if somebody is loving you selfishly or shallow. I'm going to use that scripture reference that I just used, 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Selfish love, number one, misuses your trust. Selfish love, when you love somebody, you are willing to overlook a lot of problems they have. You ever heard the saying, love is blind? Yeah, it's dumb too. That's why you got to be careful with it. When, 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 you, when you love somebody... Uh, you will overlook a lot of flaws. However, if they keep misusing you, if they keep breaking their promises to you, you know that you love them. But you also learn that they don't love you. Because if they are taking advantage of your ability to forgive them, overlook their flaws, then they don't love you on the same level. These are warning signs. If they have to continually say, I'm sorry for the same offense, listen, just change and you never have to say sorry again. But when they look and say, can't I just say sorry? You keep forgiving me and I just keep doing what I was doing. So if they misuse your trust, number two, when they refuse to release your past. If there is someone that you think loves you, but they constantly remind you of your faults, what's that sound like? It sounds like this. I can't believe you did that to me. It was 1982. Come on, Elsa, let it go. I mean, how many times can I say I'm sorry? How many times can I repent? How many times can I let this get? How many times can I continually tell you over and over again, I'm sorry, I can't go back to that spot, moment in time, and fix it? It's impossible. So, if somebody is still measuring you today by who you were last year, they don't love you. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Let me ask you, who wants to be judged by their worst moments? Nobody wants people to be keeping records. That's why Paul said they don't keep records of wrongs. Some of you bury the, bury the hatchet, but you leave the handle sticking out so you know exactly where to find it. Number three. Love does not have if-then conditions. This is selfish, shallow love. You know, what, who, you know who uses if-then conditions? Control freaks. This is somebody who says, I love you as long as you do this, that, and the other. I will, I'm going to be nice to you as long as... 
If you don't do this, I'm going to be hateful. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. Why is it so quiet in here? You know that's like saying sick him to a coon dog. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to one beside of you. Uh-huh. If, it's, if your relationship is based on if then, if you do this, then I'll do that, that's not real love. That's shallow love. That is a love that is conditional, and it's the kind of love that is easy to walk away from. They're trying to make a puppet out of you. They don't need you. They need a ventriloquist doll, something they can control because it's manipulation disguised as love. There are people in life that will be really, really, really good to you. Listen, they will be great to you. They'll buy you stuff. They will go above and beyond writing checks for you. At the same time, they require things of you. They want you to show up at a certain time. They want you to leave other people alone. Y'all not going to help me now. They want to control who you talk to. They want to control your time. Every time they text you, they expect a text right back. Oh, they're really, really good to you. So you give them all of this leeway to control you. But before too long, they have got you on a string and leading you around because their love was conditional on if and then. Some of y'all, y'all got quiet. Y'all are seeing this. In your life. Number four, love that is shallow enables you to self destruct. It is difficult for me to talk about this, but we've all encountered this love because this is a love that is a codependent love. I need you to need me. When I first started pastoring, I needed people to need me. So I was at everything, and I was trying to please everybody and be all things to all people, and I was about to have a nervous breakdown, and I realized I wouldn't see 40 if I didn't realize that I, I can't please everybody. And I had a long talk with people much wiser than me, and I had a long talk with God, and I said, God, if I can keep you happy and that woman happy, that's probably a full-time job, and everybody else would just have to take a number. And I've lived the rest of my life trying to keep that happy because, listen, there has to be a balance. And, and, and people that have this kind of shallow love will allow you to self-destruct because they want to be your hero. They want to rescue you. That's why they enable you to stay in your addiction. Ooh, it got quiet. See, God loves us unconditionally. But you have lost your mind if you think that just because He loves you unconditionally, it means that He'll never convict you. That he'll, he'll keep blessing you to keep making poor choices. No, he'll tell you the truth even when the truth is painful. And something I've learned from God is that God loves me so much that he's willing to hurt my feelings if it'll make me better. Mm -hmm. He's not an enabler. Which, which leads me to number five. Shallow love is people that won't let you get ahead of them. These are people that are jealous of you. Paul said love is not jealous people try to hold you back when they're jealous of you and I don't necessarily mean jealous of you talking to other people <laughs> some of them know I don't want you I don't think anybody else would either <laughs> they're not everybody that's jealous of you is not jealous of you and your time and your attention they're jealous of what you're capable of see See, a person that genuinely loves you celebrates you. They don't criticize you. 
They don't criticize just to criticize. They don't downplay your accomplishments and your successes because they're not as successful as you. They don't try to bring you down a notch just because they don't feel very good about themselves. They get threatened by you and they always try to diminish your potential because they don't see any potential in themselves. See, people that really love you will celebrate you. I'm going to tell you again. Some of you, this is clicking in some of y'all. This is why y'all got so quiet all of a sudden. Some of y'all are starting to scoot over. I see some distance between some of y'all in the seats. Y'all was all, uh, all lovey-dovey and now y'all kind of giving a side eye. I understand. A person who loves you will celebrate you. What's that, Paul? Romans chapter uh, 12 and verse 15 says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Be happy with those who are happy and weep. Do you know what? In the church, we're great at weeping with each other because we love it when other people are feeling bad. So we'll get in the altar and cry with folks that are crying because it makes us feel good. We are their hero. But when you celebrate... Some folks are jealous of your celebration and they refuse to celebrate because they feel like if you got a blessing, they missed out on one and they can't celebrate with you. Well, church, I'm here to tell you that's a shallow, worldly kind of love and you need some folks in your life that will pick you up, push you forward, and celebrate your accomplishments. You and God are enough. So be happy with those who are happy. See, we, we, can I get real and raw here for the next ten minutes? We live in a world that is trying right now, as I speak, to distort God's plan for love. I'm not going to preach this, I'm going to teach this. Love, 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 love. That is all you hear. Well, you shouldn't say that. Christians are supposed to love. Haven't you read? Judge not. Haven't you read the Bible? It says God, love. That's not very loving. Have you saw this phrase anywhere? Love is love. You saw that anywhere? I saw a shirt. I see it on the internet. Love is love. That's a lie. Love is not love. Because just because you love something doesn't mean that it's a godly attraction. And the world doesn't want to submit to God so they're making a God out of love. See, love is not God, but God is love. So God gets to define what love is. And people that talk about love talk about the emotion of love, but they don't want to talk about holiness. Can I tell you what love does? Love gains an emotional response. Holiness gains a spiritual response. You know how many times the Bible says that God is love? Once. Do you know how many times the Bible says God is holy? Over 400. When Isaiah saw the angels flying around God's throne, they weren't saying loving, 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 loving is the holy is the Lord sits on the throne. They were saying holy, holy, holy. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not the Father, Son, and loving spirit. And once you understand that God is about holiness, then you can understand what real love looks like. Because the Bible says without holiness, we can't see God. It has nothing to do with love. But we live in a world who wants to hijack love because it makes them sound religious. 
But that's not even what the Word says. When they asked Jesus what the most important commandment was, He said, love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love the Lord. Love the who? Love who? Love the Lord. He says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord with everything you have. Love everything that you have to the Lord. And out of that, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He did not tell you to love folks like you love God. He said love folks like you love you. He, love people the way you love yourself. But love for God is predominant. It's above everything, and out of that love flows the ability to love other people. And we have got, the world has got this thing mixed up to where we feel like, well, I love you, so I'm showing God. No, not if you're not honoring God with your love. You can't separate this love from that love. Because this love will cause you to love right, holy. Because love is not what you thought. Love is not butterflies. You get a box of chocolate and, some, uh, and a Hallmark card tomorrow, and you'll be like, oh, sweetie. Yeah, he'll, he'll come around again next year. That is a fleeting moment. Those things come and they go. They were good for a minute. Some of y'all stood in front of a judge, a preacher, or a justice of the peace and swore you was going to love that other person till death do you part. You ain't dead. And now you wouldn't throw a glass of water on them if they was on fire. What happened to all the love? I thought it was love. I thought it was real love. I thought it was true love. I thought that love endures forever. We love God, and out of that love, we love people. That's why Jesus put it in that order. People want to be controlled by their attractions and call it love. They want to take God out of love, but the minute you take God out of love, it becomes a lie. That's why they try to define love with love is love. What, what is that? I took English in eighth grade. You can't define a word with the same word. What, what does that mean? Chair is chair. Scott is Scott. Podium is podium. You don't look in a dictionary under car and it says car is car. You can't define a word with the same word. But that's what the world's trying to do because they don't want to use God as their reference. They want to make love as their God and love is the standard because I can feel love, hear me, I can love people without first loving God. But it is impossible for me to love God and not love people in a holy way. And I get to define love however I want to if I don't first run it through Him first. I get to love whoever I want to because love is love as long as I don't check heaven first. Nobody has ever been better at loving people than the one who came and laid down his life for us and gave his life as a ransom. So I want to define what it means to love people Jesus style. And I know I've already preached a long time, so let me give you these three real quickly. Loving like Jesus looks like this. Number one, forgiveness. This is the one that looks the strangest to the world. Because they don't believe in forgiveness anymore. This ain't something you can teach in school. This is, 
Forgiveness in this day and age is so rare. Listen, we can't even go to, we can't even go to church with people that vote different than us. Are you kidding me? The world thinks forgiveness is a foreign concept. So when we're going to love like Jesus, forgiveness needs to be the very first thing we say. The world says this. You give what you get. Oh, y'all not going to help me? Yeah, uh, this is what it sounds like. You hurt me or my family, I'll end you. But loving like Jesus is, you hurt me or my family, and I'll forgive you. Boy, that hurts. That stings. I didn't get nearly as many amens on that one. Y'all, y'all a lot more on the inside of group than, than y'all are on the forgive side of group. So maybe I'm in the right place preaching this this morning. Jesus says to love the ones who hurt you, injure you, and puts unreasonable demands on you. You know medicine has side effects, right? Medicine. Anytime you take any kind of medicine, there's a side effect. Well, being a side, one of the side effects of being a human is being hurt. Jesus said it is impossible for you to live on this planet and not become offended or suffer offense. Offense is something happens to you. Offended is a decision that you make. You don't have to let every, listen, every argument you're invited to, you don't have to attend. So, so I'll get into that a little bit deeper in another sermon. Forgiveness isn't just letting go of the feelings of resentment. It's also letting go of the record of resentment too. That's what Paul said when he, that's what Paul meant when he said love doesn't keep records. We are always trying to get out of what God's trying to get us into. We're trying to get out of a reason to forgive people. And Paul and Jesus is trying to teach us to forgive everybody. Oh, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, but I know what your example is. And your example was this. Jesus went to the garden to pray, and here's what he said. You ready? Are you ready? God, Father, loving these people, forgiving these people is costing me too much. If there's any way, don't make me do this. Nevertheless, not what I want. And you think you have an excuse not to forgive? You don't know what they did to me. I know what they did to Jesus. And that's my example. My example is, even if it costs you too much, you have no excuse. Forgiveness is a mandate. God himself said, if you forgive, I'll forgive you. If you are unable to forgive, I can't forgive you. Forgiveness is not just a good idea. It's a necessity. It unlocks the kingdom of heaven for you to get inside. So it's not just letting go of the feelings. It's letting go of the record too. You know what happened? It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his forgiveness for the people who hung him there. You may have been taught wrong. You may think that love only looks like the circumstances that are around you. But God God will put an unreasonable demand on your love. An unreasonable demand is being placed on your love. An unreasonable demand. He don't just let you love lovely people. He don't just let you love Doyle's. Everybody got to love her. I mean, you just have to. Like, look, she, she don't see bad in nobody. Like, somebody could come up here and murder me right here, and she'd be like, well, maybe they were having a bad day, and, and, and we need to pray for them. 
you got you have to, but you can't just love them. You've got to love people that irritate you. You have to love people that gave you no no apology, but you have to offer forgiveness. Pastor, I can't do that. Thank God Jesus did that. Because while he was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they did, which means they didn't repent of it. They never said sorry because they didn't know what they did. So forgiveness is a mandate, which leads me to number two. If I'm going to love like Jesus, I have to learn how to sacrifice. I'm going to give you Webster's Dictionary. Uh, it is offer, to kill, uh, offer or kill as a religious sacrifice, give up. Something that is important or valued for the sake of other considerations. Deliberately allow one's opponent to win as a pawn on a chess piece. And sacrificial love is impossible. Hear me, hear me. Sacrificial love is impossible without loss. You can't love your children and think that they're always going to give you something. It's going to cost you something to love your own kids. Marriage is going to cost you something. Friendship is going to cost you something. Loving people in the church is going to cost you something. And this is when you don't want to love them, but you do it anyway. And this looks different for every one of us. Okay? I don't want to, but I will. Because I love you. I don't want to keep my mouth shut right now. I have a very strong opinion about this, Amanda. That I would love to share with you. And do I love my opinion more than I love her? Do I love my right to be right more than I love her? Because if I'm going to love like Jesus, sometimes the most awesome and loving thing we can do is just shut up. In the name of Jesus. Listen, you, you, you got to care about people. And no, number three, number three is compassion. And I'm just going to. I'm just going to preach this the rest of the way. Number three is compassion. Mark chapter five. There's a story in your Bible. And I'm going to go through the scriptures. And if y'all can keep up with me. You can, you can keep up with me. I don't know that you'll be able to because I'm probably going to jump around because I've already out-preached my welcome and they're mad at me already. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, tells a story. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, that's an important dude, okay? I need you to understand. His name's Jairus. He's an important guy. He came, and while he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. She's not sick. She don't have COVID. She, she's not di pre-diabetic. She didn't fall and break her leg. She's dying. I can't imagine. I can't imagine a little daughter. She's dying. My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now this is the miracle. I don't have time to break this down for you, but you know the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of the four Gospels, Mark is the shortest, and he's also the one that emphasizes the miracles. He talk, he's an action. If you want to read all about the action that Jesus was involved in, read Mark. 
It's shorter, so you should get through it faster anyway. But it, it, it's all about action. Mark didn't talk about the preeminence of God like John does. He didn't talk about all the teachings that the, uh, that the, uh, uh, th- that the Pharisees was accusing Jesus of being wrong. He didn't get involved in none of that. He was like, Jesus did this, and look how awesome it was. And he did that, and look how that worked out. And, I mean, it was, all, it was action, action, action. So the, the miracle that Mark is emphasizing is Jairus' daughter is dying. And the Bible says a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus and a woman was there. A woman. Jairus gets a name. And a woman was there. Jairus is an important guy. Synagogue leader. We know him by name. I want to talk to you about this woman, though, because I checked Luke and I checked Matthew, and nobody tells me what her name was. But I already heard from Rita, as soon as I mentioned her, we call her the woman with the issue of blood. Jairus is identified by his importance. This woman is identified by her issue. And by the way, how do we know she was bleeding anyway? Because she's not bleeding on the outside. This is internal hemorrhaging. This is a woman who is suffering on the inside. If you walk up to me on the street with blood coming out of your nose, I got a Kleenex for that, but I don't know how to deal with your internal sickness. This woman, who we don't name, but we don't just call her woman. How do we identify her one to another? The woman who had an issue. The woman who had an inside bleeding. The woman who had a hemorrhage going on that nobody could fix. Keep reading the Bible. The Bible says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been the subject of bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors who had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. I'm talking about loving like Jesus with compassion. Do you know how many people walk in and out of the church house every Sunday with internal hemorrhaging? And they've spent everything they have. They've prayed all their prayers. They've sang all the songs. They've amened pastor until they don't have any amens left. And they've cried themselves to sleep until there's no more tears. And they have grown worse. Is that up here? Instead of getting better, she had gotten worse. I'm not asking you to raise your hand this morning, but some of you know that I'm talking to you. You have done everything you know to do, everything that religion tells you to do. Pray, read your Bible, worship God, come to church, give your heart to the Lord, and instead of all those things fixing you, you are still hemorrhaging. Does anybody connect with what this preacher is saying this morning? You're still hemorrhaging, you're still hurting, and you're suffering in silence. You're not bleeding outside where anybody 
everybody can see what you're going through. You're bleeding on the inside, and yeah, you're still a mother, and yeah, you're still a father, and yeah, you're trying to hold the marriage together, and you're still trying to run the business, and you're still trying to keep your mind straight, and you're still trying to keep up with the book club and the PTA and the softball and the baseball and the soccer games, and you're trying to keep everything together, and nobody sees the suffering that's going on on the inside of you, but you feel like if something doesn't fix me soon, I'm going to bleed out. That, my friend, is why we need to have compassion and grace one for another because you don't know what the person beside of you is dealing with. The pain, the suffering, the agony, you don't know what people, they come into church and they're, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. You a lie. It was all the strength you could muster just to get into the house of God today. And then you can come in here and say, oh, can I help you pray for anything? Oh, no, we are good. God is good to us. Really? What about all that hemorrhaging that's been going on with your life? But the reason people don't want to unveil their hurt is because they've never met the compassion that Jesus cared. They don't think you really care. I know, because when you say, how you doing today? How you doing today? Wait a minute, you didn't give me a chance to answer. But we just placate. We give rhetoric. We say what we know we're supposed to say without ever connecting with real compassion and caring. And the reason people don't want to reveal what's going on inside of them is because they have never met the compassion of Jesus Christ. Oh, they got saved. They joined the church. But Jesus, the Bible says she crawled because she wasn't allowed to be there. A woman with the issue of blood wasn't allowed to be out in public like that. So she would have had to went through the dirt and the mire and crawl on her hands and knees. And she said, because she dare not touch a rabbi. She dare not make him unclean. She said, if I can just touch the him. I can just touch the train. If I can just touch his robe, the dirty part. The part nobody else cares about because it's been dragged through the streets. She said, I'll be made whole. And when she touched Jesus, Jesus stopped. And when Jesus stopped, the bleeding stopped. When Jesus stopped, the Bible says, I don't have time to read the scriptures. If you can find them, you can throw them up. When Jesus stopped, she immediately dried up. And Jesus said, who touched me? Peter said, you out of your mind. There's 5,000 people out here, everybody touching you. He says, no, 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 no. These folks brushing up against me. These people bumping into me. Folks come to church every Sunday and bump into Jesus. Folks come to the altar and just brush up against him, get their fix. Oh, you think heroin addicts are the only ones that get a fix? These folks every Sunday getting their Jesus fix on. And they're going to rub on him just enough to get feeling good, and then they're going to leave and go do whatever it is they were going to do anyway because it didn't change them any because they didn't touch him. 
He says, somebody touched me because I felt power come up out of me. Somebody pulled something out of me because she wasn't just here to look the part. She is sick and tired of bleeding and suffering and nobody being able to fix her and religion couldn't fix me and doctors couldn't fix me and programs couldn't fix me and counseling didn't fix me. And I've got to come to Jesus as my last resort because if something doesn't change, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it anymore. I'm going through the motions, but nobody sees how I'm suffering on the inside. And she touched Jesus and power came into her and she was made whole in an instant and I'm going to end with this thought because verse 28 and 29 the Bible says she was healed, she was made whole verse 28 and 29 he stops, the blood stops and she's healed And then the Bible says in verse 31, look at this crowd. How can you ask who touched me? Verse 32 says that the woman came terrified. How do I know she's terrified? He looked around, couldn't see who done it, and the frightened woman. She was scared because she knew she wasn't supposed to be there. She wasn't supposed to be out in public. She had an issue of blood. She wasn't supposed to be touching nobody. She wasn't even supposed to be in the vicinity of other people. She was frightened. She was frightened. She was healed, but she was scared. Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith, your faith has made you whole, but I want you to, I want you to pay attention with me on something. He says here in verse 34, your faith has made you well. But go back to verse 29. Because in verse 29, she was already healed. Why did he call a woman back to tell her something she already knew? She was already whole. She'd already been healed. Why did he call her to tell her something that had already happened? Because he wasn't, it wasn't about what he was telling her happened to her. It was what he called her. He said daughter we called her a woman with an issue Jesus called her daughter because he wasn't just interested in healing up the blood that was going on on the inside of her he said I'm not going to let you leave did you see it said that she came afraid she came frightened she was healed but she was frightened he said uh uh I'm not letting you leave here acting like you're a second class citizen I'm sick and tired of my daughters and my sons feeling like that you can get a touch of glory but have to back out the church door he said no 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 you get back here I want to look you in the eye and tell you exactly who you are I didn't just heal you I'm calling you my own because I want you to get a backbone I want you to be able to stand up look the devil in the eye and say I don't must know I'm saved I know he loves me I know he cares for me I know he's shown me great compassion he's given me strength boldness and I'm his God don't want to just heal your infirmities he wants to call you his own He don't want to just take away the, the blood. She could have left and been healed.
But he wanted her to look him in the eye so he could say, I don't just give you gifts. You are mine and I am yours. And when you leave here, don't you leave here acting afraid of me. Like you got to slink out of here like some scurvy dog. You belong to me. You let the devil hear you say it. You let all of hell hear you say it. You testify that not only did I get touched today, but I know I'm his and he is mine. I walk hand in hand with him and he is my strength. He is my shield. He is my buckler. He has given me. I am his rich reward and he is mine. Can somebody give the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God a hand clap of praise? So here's what he said, and I'm going to let you go. He said, I don't want to just heal you of your problem. I also want to take away your shame. He said, I don't want you to just be no longer bleeding on the inside. I want to take away the shame and the guilt that comes along with all the problems that you created for yourself. So every person in this room, every daughter, every son, if this sermon has connected with you, if the, her story connects with you, I want you to raise your hands right now if you're physically able to. Father, right now I take away under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus the shame that these people are carrying on their lives and on their spirits and on their hearts. If they're a mother, if they're a father, if they're a husband, if they're a spouse, if they've had failures, if they grieve the loss of a marriage, if they're grieving the loss of a relationship, if they're grieving because they got saved and they did stuff they know they weren't supposed to do, God, if they have asked for forgiveness, if they have repented for their sins, I right now, I want you to forgive them and take this, take this shame off of them, remove the guilt off of them, and help Help them walk out of here in freedom. They are sons. They are daughters. And I want them to feel free and liberated because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' mighty name, if you feel that in your spirit and will claim it with me, will you put your hands together and give God a praise offering? Yeah. She came to Jesus crawling. She left walking. Because he don't want to just heal what's on the inside of you. Which, by the way, before you leave, I want to pray for that too. He don't want to just stop your in internal bleeding. He wants to take away the, the struggle that you feel too. God, right now, under the sound of my voice, every person in this room has something that is causing them to suffer. Every person in this room has had curses spoke over them. Every person in this room wears the scars of bad decisions. Every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're here or online, they all are bleeding internally and suffering on the inside. But you're the balm of Gilead. You're our healer. And you can make us whole. If we can just touch the hem of your garment today, we will be released from this prison and we will be well. Can you say that out of your mouth today, church? I am well. Yeah, yeah, say it until you believe it. I am, I am well. This woman, this woman heard that Jesus was coming, but hearing wasn't enough. 
We think that we can just hear about Jesus and we'll get healed. But she didn't just hear about Jesus. She had to do something. Faith without works is dead. She had to get up and touch the hem of his garment. So if you are well, if you are well, say it out of your mouth until you believe it. I am well. I am well. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. Only one person in the whole crowd was able to pull something out of Jesus. And it was the woman who was determined. I want to hear some determined people in the house of God this morning. I am well. Well, hallelujah. Just spend some time this morning talking to him. And don't you quit until you're determined that you're well.